Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here at First Christian Church. Welcome to each and every one of you, all of you here in the West Auditorium, to those who are in the East Auditorium, and those of you in Lovington. We're very glad you're with us in worship today. And I invite you to take your Bible, please, and uh, an easy place to find today, Genesis chapter 1, so at the very beginning of the book, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to start with, and we'll move on from there. If you're a guest with us, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. And I'm part of the pastoral team, and uh, what a thrill it is to have you here today. It's really good. And um, we're, Leslie and I, and some of you may not be familiar with this, Leslie and I have been on a three-week road trip on behalf of the church, uh, and so it feels really good to be home. We visited dozens of um, Disciple Heritage Fellowship pastors and lay leaders and churches uh, up and down the East Coast. So four weeks ago today, I was preaching in this service, and then we got on the road immediately and went to um, Columbus, Ohio to spend the night, and we were in Washington, D.C. the next day and started that adventure of visiting with all those congregations. Um, for, if Maybe you're not familiar, DHF, Disciple Heritage Fellowship, is a network of churches, some 70 churches across the country that our congregation agreed to lead last January and to kind of, if you will, see what we we could take from our experience and pour into the lives of those churches. And so it was more or less a listening tour to see what's going on out there, particularly in the churches in the southeast, if you will. And um, we learned a lot. I'm going to give you some detailed responses next week to some of the things we saw. But in a nutshell, we discovered some very healthy, vibrant ministry settings and churches where things are going well. Sadly, we also um, learned of congregations struggling in ministry with many of them in um, facing crises of, of various dimensions. And sadly, some of that are in crisis don't even realize they're in crisis. And my observation is this, they are only a few members' deaths. They're only a few funerals away from closing the doors. You know, if the wrong person dies, the funding will disappear or whatever the case may be, and they've got all kinds of problems. So uh, we're gonna see what we can do to prevent that mission death if we can. Um, but I'll bring you more details on that next week. It was a lot of miles, 4,600 miles traveling in the van, saddle sore miles. Uh, we did that, most of that, in the first two weeks because then once we were in Florida, we said, well, since we're here, let's take some time off. And so we had some days down there. The rest of the family flew down and met us there. And uh, we had some fun in the sun and the surf. And um, it was rough, but we struggled. We pushed on through on your behalf, and um, we managed to survive the weeks that week, pardon me, on the beach there, and so um, thank you for the time away. So more comments next week on, on all of that, on struggling churches and what to do, but for today, we'll take on something far easier. I've been assigned this topic, creation and sin. That's way easier, than, right? Probably not. Uh, it's a big topic that we'll look at today, and uh, what we're doing is we are following on with this, um, well, for, throughout this month, we're going to run through Genesis. And when I say run, I mean, we're going to move very quickly through Genesis. We're going to follow what our family ministries department is doing. Today, they are starting a three-year project. Here's the idea that for the next three years, the kids of our church, starting from pre-K all the way through high school, will work their way through the Bible, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation over three years. Here's why. Our research shows that the way in which children most accurately stay connected to the faith when they become adults, we don't want them to graduate from their faith when they graduate from high school, the way in which they most accurately stay connected to their faith is if they know Scripture. 
And so as a congregation, we're going to say, how can we, as the kids grow up, be certain that they get to know all of Scripture? So if you've got a kid in the second grade, then um, they're going to get through all of Scripture through the end of fifth grade, and then probably beginning in sixth grade, step on through it again. And so uh, that's our goal. It takes three years to go through it. And we thought that at least for today and for this month, since all your children, if you have kids in the program, they're going to be coming home with all kinds of similar stuff. Um, obviously, what we're teaching in second grade is different than what the high schoolers are going to receive, but it's the same basic portion of Scripture. So for, the month of, of, um, for this month right now, we will um, follow along with them, and at least you'll have lots of table discussion uh, in the days ahead. So Pastor Brian started us off last week with a large chunk of what we need to look at, because you, if you look in, first, in, in Genesis chapter 1... If you read, grab your Bible or your smartphone. In Genesis chapter 1, this is what he looked at last week with you. In the beginning, God. That's as far as he got. And I I would have to say to Brian, what? One verse? You could only get as far as one verse. You got a whole 30 minutes and you get, not even a full verse, just four words. In the beginning, God. You know, at this rate... Four words a week is going to take a long time to get through 50 chapters of Genesis. So we're going to speed it up just a little bit today. I, I spoke with Brian on the phone, you know, as we were planning this series, and, and I was gone. And, and he said, Wayne, you need to know I'm getting as far as God, in the beginning God. You've got to cover the rest. Good luck with that. Gee, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much. But So here's what I've decided. Me being the old guy, I'm going to show the young guys that you can actually take on that challenge. And that there might be some tools in my tool belt when it comes to preaching that maybe I can manage at least three chapters in one message. And so we're going to do that today with this understanding. If you want to understand the book of Genesis, be aware that it can be divided into two parts. All the way up to the beginning of chapter 12 and then chapter 12 and on. All the way up to chapter 12, you have basically the beginning of how humanity and the world was created and what happened in the early days. Beginning in chapter 12, the story moves from humanity to a focus on a fellow of Abraham and the beginning of the Jewish nation. So today, we're going to get, well, we're not going to get all the way to chapter 12, but we'll, we'll look at chapter 12 next week. So you might want to start reading in preparation for next week, starting in chapter 12 this week. But here's, here's well... If it took him 30 minutes to do four, four words, let me show you this. Are you ready? I can do the story of Genesis in 30 seconds. You ready? Here we go. God creates the world in six days and consecrates the seventh day as a day of rest. God creates the first humans, Adam and Eve, all the animals of the Garden of Eden, and instructs them, don't eat, don't eat of that tree over there, the tree called the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. This talking serpent shows up. He's a deceptive creature, a trickster. He entices Eve and she she buys into what he says and she eats from that tree. She then entices Adam whereupon God hears about this and throws them out of this perfect place called the Garden of Eden and says you're going to live in punishment. For Adam that means when you work from now on you're going to sweat. For Eve that means from now on when you have children you're going to be in, in pain. Done. What do you think of that? That's it, in a nutshell, all right? Well, I'd say at 30 seconds like that, we could go home, but we won't, all right? Because we're going to dig a little bit deeper. But if you look at Genesis chapter 1, okay, we've got this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And you continue on reading, you've got... Creation's understanding of how the cosmos was created. 
And um, any moment you mention that, who are we kidding? In a 21st century world, you have the beginning of a very potentially contentious debate between evolution versus the biblical account of creation. Which one's right? Which one's right? I mean, it's the Bible's account of creation of the cosmos where it says here in Genesis 1, it was done in six days. God rested on the seventh. Look towards the end of the chapter. You get six days of God creating. Let there be light. Let there be the earth. Let there be animals and let there be humans. And all that takes place in six days. Is, is that accurate? Is it, is, was the cosmos really created in the context of six 24-hour periods? Some hold to that view, literally. They're in, Christ, in the Christian world, they're from a tribe called, if you will, young earthers. Young earthers, where the earth is not very old, hold that the earth is about 6,000 years old. Others see the story of Genesis as simply metaphorical. We would say they are from the tribe of old earthers. And they would say that the earth and the cosmos is more like 13 billion years old. Which one is right? Because that's a big difference. 6,000 years, 13 billion what do you believe? I'm mindful of this. So when it comes to Christians and our view of the cosmos, here's what we believe. First of all, we believe God created the earth, the heavens, and all living creatures, and we believe that humans are made in God's image. And after we make that statement, we have to acknowledge there are many fine Christians on either side of the God created the humans and created the earth, and then there are fine Christians on either side of the debate as to whether or not the earth is old or the earth is young. On both sides of that debate include great evangelical conservative Christians. So let me give you some observations or some notes about that debate. First of all, the debate between the young and old earth view, that's relatively new in terms of church history. More than about 200 years ago, there wasn't a lot of debate about it. But really what, what, what caused the debate to come into play was when, when Darwin came along and pushed the earth to being old versus young, Christians said, okay, but what about human beings? Christians would say, well, humans are made in God's image. And so with that, Christians some 150 years ago began to push back from saying that the earth is any specific length of time and said, we're going to shoot, many said, we're going to shoot for a young earth. And so you had this great debate, mostly over the issue of humanity, that to take evolution's point of view is that humanity then is originally came from some sort of subspecies and grew to become human, which the Bible is very clear Humans are made in God's image. And the problem is, if humans were not at some point where we are today, if we were sometimes some subspecies, then being made in God's image is problematic because then God's image is marred or flawed. Does that make sense? So, so Christians, you understand the legitimate reason that Christians have said, we have to at least say that humans are made in God's image and we didn't come from some subspecies. I get that. That's great theology. It really is very strong theology that's very biblical in terms of humanity. However, if you take that position, if I take that position and take it very stridently to the point where it becomes a determining rule regarding the viability of someone else's faith, saying you either have to believe in creation out of the Bible or if you believe in evolution of any sort, if we say you're not a Christian, when we, when we come to that strident, then we've lost the point of the gospel anyways. Because Christians of biblical maturity, we allow for some leeway regarding a young or old youth 
view, a young or old view of Genesis with one caveat, as long as creation is ascribed to God. We'll have more to say about that. In other words, the point is this. In the beginning, we say God created the cosmos, and frankly, friends, my faith is not shattered or challenged by differing viewpoints of the timeline of how God created. I'm not too worried. I mean, it's a lovely discussion, if you will, but I, my faith is not dependent upon how quickly that took place, because I've only lived 60 years, so what happened 6,000 years ago or 13 billion years ago? I don't really know. Here's where I place my focus. Look with me, Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 31. You've got God making the earth. It's, it takes six days, according to Genesis. Here's where I land, because this makes the most sense to me. It's the most theologically sound, and that is in verse 31. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. That's where it is to land. Not to, yes, to worry or to struggle and debate how, how long it took, but in the long run, notice that everything that God made was good. In other words, this is before sin enters the world. You are aware, perhaps, that beginning in chapter 3, you got Adam and Eve, they begin to sin, and things get really ugly very quickly. But before that, before sin entered the world, all of the cosmos, everything, before the sin occurs, everything is really good. Nothing was hostile to God. Nothing was independent of Him or inherently evil, but instead was made by God, ordered by him, good in itself, and good in, in its relationship to the purpose and the plan of the creator. When I say good, I don't mean it just looked good. That's one thing. Yeah, it was good and it worked well. But beyond looking good, it was good. That's what the Hebrew there is, that there was no evil whatsoever in what God created. There was no evil until you get to Genesis chapter 3, when humanity messed it up. And in beginning in chapter 3, if you read this story, you'll see that Adam and Eve disobeyed God's instructions. Don't eat from that tree over there. They did anyway. And they introduced chaos into humanity's story. The chaos you know about. The chaos that they brought into the world you've experienced. I mean, think about the chaos that you've had in some of your relationships over the years. Or maybe you have in a relationship right now. And you describe that relationship and it's just all tumbled and it's chaotic, which is a good word for that, right? Or maybe you've discovered chaos in relationship to your health. The things in the past, your health have been very bad. Or maybe it's bad right now. Or there's been chaos that we can see in nature. There's a hurricane headed toward uh, North Carolina and Georgia, South Carolina coast that might impact us this week. And if you're living out there right now, you're worried about the chaos that could be coming your way. Or... <laughs> Who are we kidding? There's chaos in politics, right? If there ever was a description of politics, chaotic would be a good way to describe it. That chaos leads to chaos of war. You fought in, against chaos in your work and in your career, and people do things in your career. You go, man, what's with that? Or all of us have faced chaos in our families as the chaos of death has brought mourning to us. Yeah, that's chaotic. And it's even chaotic sometimes just deep down within us. How am I doing life? And what about this? And what about that? Prior to the introduction of sin into humanity's story, the scriptures tell us God created all things good. And our present setting was neither God's plan nor God's hope. And we could spend weeks 
Seriously, we could spend probably a whole year on just unpacking the story and the theology of creation and sin. But we don't have time for all that today because the kids are going to be moving on next week and we're going to, we're going to hang with them and work on Abraham next week, starting in chapter 12. Read that, if you will, this coming week, all right? But, so I want to give you some reflections or some responses to the story so far. Um, and, and, and my list, I mean, when I first started writing a list, it was really long. But I, I shortened it up just to a few points. So there are lots of things we could talk about today in this regard. Responses to the story of creation and humanity's fall, humanity's sin. I'm just going to give you a few today that, again to di- promote some discussion when you get home for lunch today, okay? So here's some responses to this whole story of how God created and humanity's sin. First, first response is this, that the story of Genesis, the story of the beginning of the cosmos, in and of itself, invites all sorts of questions, and it's legitimate to have questions. Mature people, reasoning people, have reasons and things to think about, and those things to think about bring about questions. Now, friends, I've got great news for you. Christ and Christianity answers many existential questions. As Scripture says, we have a reason for our hope. We have an answer to, man, I just hope something. We have an answer to that. We have a reason for our hope, Christ's mission His life, his death, his resurrection gives ultimate answers to the ultimate questions. But even as we say that, who are we kidding? Even as I say, I'm following Christ and I'm I'm, I'm placing my eternal destiny in his hands, I've still got some questions. I've got some questions that, well, I would say this. If you're a mature Christian, you have to acknowledge there are some questions and you don't have to put everything in a nice box and tie it up in a bow. But you say, in a, as a person of faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold those questions in tension, in faith. For example, here's a question that I have. If the story of creation and humanity's fall invites questions and it was all good before sin, then I want to know about what things were like before there was evil introduced into the world. For example, did mosquitoes exist before sin? Because in my mind, there's nothing more incessantly evil than that buzz around your ears in the middle of the night. You've heard it, right? You're laying in bed, and the lights are out, you're in a dead sleep, and suddenly you hear, it gets really loud. And don't you wish you could catch a video of yourself in the dark doing this, as if that's really going to catch that thing, right? You've lived that nightmare. You've lived that evil, right? You know what the evil is? Sleep is gone. It's quickly dissipated, and you're laying there waiting for that little sting to come somewhere, and you start scratching it, and you go, thank you, Adam and Eve, very much for introducing evil into the world. Maybe that's a small question, but here's another question. If death was not part of God's original plan, which is what we're told in creation, in in Genesis, if death wasn't part of God's original plan, then at what age would Adam and Eve have been considered elderly? I mean, at 240 years, they're not old yet, right? Are they old at 700 years? I want to know that. 
Or I want to know this also. If death wasn't part of God's original plan, then how do you account for things that happen in nature where death is really healthy and helpful? For example, a tree grows up. It gets to be 80 feet tall. It, it, it grows old. It falls down. And what happens when it falls down? It begins to rot. And in the rotting... New life comes out of that rot, out of that new dirt, and now new trees grow up and it makes the air fresh again. Now, if death wasn't part of that, if death wasn't part of the original plan, how was that going to work? How are new trees going to get soil? I want to ask God when I see him, how is that going to work? So I've got questions, absolutely. And if you're a person of mature faith, you have to acknowledge I have some questions. Don't have, we don't have to everything tied up in this neat little box. Here's another reflection, a response. A big, a big Bang Theory that discounts a divine catalyst. Friends, that's not biblical. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm a pastor with a theological, theological education. And when I look up at the sky at night or I look at the intricacies of the bark on a tree through a telescope or a microscope or whatever, I'm looking at it through a theological telescope, a theological microscope. So I'm aware that science or scientists, some, would see things differently than I do. But when I look at through it through my telescope or my microscope, it seems to me that believing in a Big Bang theory that occurred spontaneously without a divine cause Frankly, that seems to require more faith than I have to believe in God. Here's why. There's this irony to me when I talk to people who try to deny God's existence. Because from my perspective, God's existence is far more plausible as, as compared to the faith required to believe that something, namely all this, this whole cosmos, to believe that all of that came from nothing is weird. I'm just, that's, I don't get that. I have a much better sense that, okay, if it came from somewhere. And as a Christian, I say, it came from God who is outside of the cosmos and whose life has always been and always will be. That makes more sense to me. Because here's what the Bible says. In the midst of, as I smile about that irony, I'm aware of this. The Bible indicates that God created and humanity sinned. And in my opinion, from a theological point of view, that's a reasoned and reasonable explanation of both the cosmos and the chaos that is experienced by some parts of the cosmos, including humans. You can think about that and have a chat about that over lunch. Or here's something else you can chat about. That work and rest form a life rhythm. Look with me, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 We've got God creating for six days, and at the end of six days, we read this, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's a great theological and biblical pattern of life right there. Right there in, in the story of creation. Genesis says creation took place and then God rested. God worked and then rested. And that's a divine pattern, friends. As a matter of fact, when humanity was first created, we were created to work. Now, on the other side of sin, 
the work was going to be, require some sweat. We don't have reason to believe, we, or let me put it this way, reason to believe that prior to the sin, the work was not going to create, it wasn't going to be sweaty work, if you will. And that there was still going to be childbirth, but it wasn't going to be in pain, if you will. But from this point of view of working and resting, each human is made to work. Now, we're made to worship, yes, but we're also made to work. And that's why each human derives some satisfaction from accomplishing tasks. We are made to work. That's what we do. There's something helpful about doing the checklist, right? Or just saying, I'm going to get in there and get this done. And you're done. You go, man, that was good to get that taken care of. But we were also made to rest at times. And sadly, once sin showed up, the correct rhythm between work and rest was marred. We call it the fall. Humanity fell from where we were. We fell from being good. We fell into this place where sin began to rule and sin chaos came on into our lives. And thus, the rhythm between work and rest is messed up. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what do you do? You do all you can to restore that rhythm to its proper form. We work and then we rest. Now, of course, years later, once we get to uh, Genesis chapter 12, on the other side of the story of the people of Israel, we know that part of that restful day is a day of worship. But before we even get to that point, here in Genesis, what we learn very quickly that all of, if you have a, a life where it's all work, Friends, that's not biblical. It is, in fact, sinful. If you have a life of all rest, that is not biblical either. That is also sinful. How's that playing out for you? How are you managing work versus rest? There's a pattern here, six to one. Six to one. We'll make that work that way, all right? Here's another response. Genesis is presented, the story of creation as it's found in Genesis, is presented with a theological purpose. It's not a scientific paper. When this was written thousands of years ago, there was no such thing as science papers. It was written as a theology. If you will, the book is an apologetic, a response to the other faiths. So there were all sorts of groups of people that had religions. And all the other religions had many different gods. And all these gods were sleeping with each other and creating other gods. And that created the earth. And, this, and, and so Genesis comes along. This Jewish writing comes along um, with a completely different view of creation and humanity. Here it is. It's a very novel idea at the time that there was only one God and that one God was responsible for creation and that one God is, is worthy of worship. That was completely new thinking when it first came around. And so to that end, if you think about it, Genesis is about the beginning of a relationship between God and humans. Not a relationship between all these gods and sub-gods and so forth and so on. This is about a relationship between God in heaven, the creator, and individual humans. It was never written to take on science. And we can't just overlay a 21st century viewpoint on, the, on this passage of Scripture and say, oh, see where it's wrong? No, but that's, it, it wasn't written with that in mind. It has its place in our Holy Scriptures at the beginning. This is the inspired Word of God, that at the beginning, God created. The point is that God and humanity were in relationship. Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. They got to, the Scriptures tell us they walked with God every day in the Garden of Eden. They were in relationship with God before they sinned. On the other side of the sin, you know what the scripture says? That at that very moment, chapter 3 of Genesis, it says that God says, I'm going to find a way that we can get back in relationship again, even though you've sinned. 
Genesis is about relationships, and in the context of a relationship between God and humans, Genesis clearly points to humanity's need for Jesus Christ. There's no getting around it. Christians believe that God, had a, a, God created a good and perfect world. Adam and Eve were given the option, the choice, to make choices. They could choose to be in relationship with God, or they could choose to forego that relationship. And they chose the latter. They introduced sin. They chose to forego a daily walk with God, and chaos entered into the cosmos and into their lives. Remember, we started the service today. Today, the first thing that you sang was, who brings our chaos back into order? That was the very first line of the first song we sang. Who brings our chaos back into order? And the answer to that, in that song, is the king of glory. Genesis explains a Christian's hope for a better life now and a place of paradise called heaven for eternity's future. And all of that, friends, is possible through Jesus. See, he was far more than just a nice guy with a few ideas about peace, about how they could, the, Israel, the Israelite nation might get rid of the Roman occupiers in the Roman army. He was far more than just a nice rabbi who had a few things and a few people walking behind him. No, may I remind you that Jesus was and is. He is the answer. He is God's response to the struggles that are found in Genesis, and Jesus is God's response to the struggles found in your life. See, God created a good, a perfect good, and he sent Jesus to return that perfect good to you. In the beginning, God created good. And in 2018, God can create a new good beginning in you through Jesus Christ. So, today, as a reminder of God's intent for you, of God's plan that you would have good in life, we're going to do something together. Uh-oh, what's that? Well, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment in all three auditoriums, okay? And we're going to read out loud together a passage of Scripture from Psalm 139. It describes how we are made. How we are made, um, in, first of all, in God's image, of course. But how that before, I mean, think about it. This is written probably 3,000 years ago, what we're going to read. It'll be on the screen. Um, before there was any scientific understanding of how babies were formed, or how, uh, what, what caused conception, or how, what order things came along. In the, this is long, obviously, before the days of imaging of babies and so forth and so on. 3,000 years ago, the psalmist says, somehow or other, as I was growing in my mother's womb, you knew about me. As a matter of fact, truth is, you knew about me before I was even formed, before I was even conceived. You knew who I was and what I was going to look like, and you knew what was ordained for me. The days of my life were written down. Pretty cool stuff when you think that God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly where you are today. And the answer to the issues that you face, he already had planned to give to you in Jesus Christ. So would you stand together, please, and let's read this together. Let's read out loud if we, if we can, please. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friend, that's who you are in God. All the stuff, all the chaos, all the struggles, everything that's come along, God didn't plan that for you. When you, before you were conceived, God planned that you would be in a relationship with him. That was the original plan of the story of creation, the original plan of humans being made in the image of God, that we would be in relationship with him. Today, I'm going to pray with us all, and then after our prayer, we're going to have this place open. The front of all three rooms is going to be open. And if you're here today and you say, hey, Wayne, I got some stuff over here that's really good. That's good, but I got some stuff over here that's really chaotic. I'd really like to do two things. One, I'd like to get rid of the chaos, and I'd like to keep that really good. Or maybe you're here today and say, deep down in me, inside me, there's this chaos I know that is there because I, I just don't know what it means to even be in a relationship with God. What do you mean? I can know God? Yeah, you can get that restored through Jesus Christ today. So in all three rooms, as there's, there are going to be church leaders in front of all three rooms, and if you would like to say, will you pray with me that this will stay good? Or will you pray with me that this chaos will get fixed? Or that this struggle within me would be, I'd get aligned right with God through Jesus Christ? We'd love to pray with you about that. But before we do that, let's pray together right now. God, I pray for my friends right now. Three different spaces, the West, the East, Lovington. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would discover again the reality of knowing you deeply, like Adam and Eve got to it first, and how we'd really like to walk with you daily. Father, I'm aware that for some here today, they know the reality of that walk with you. For others, God, they might know of it, but there's a place of chaos within them or in a setting that needs some attention from you. We pray, God, that you would restore good to our lives, that it would be made right. And Lord, that above all, our relationship with you would be made right. And we pray this in Christ's name.